Shalom. Welcome to the second video in the vidcast series that I've entitled Hanukkah, The Return of the King. And we're taking a look at Hanukkah, and one of the things that we have learned, especially from Lesson 1, that Christmas and Hanukkah have absolutely nothing to do with each other whatsoever. Uh, they happen to be a Christian feast that's celebrated in December and a Jewish feast that's celebrated in December. They're not God-ordered. In other words, you will find nowhere in the Bible that God said you must do Christmas or you must do Hanukkah. They're man-made. And so we looked at that. And one of the other things that we found out, too, is that many of us Christians and many Jews, they hold to the tradition that Hanukkah has everything to do with the miracle of the oil. Well, as I mentioned in the first video, and you can find these links in the description for that first video on Hanukkah, which is called Hanukkah, the Return of the King Introduction, that indeed address the fact that the miracle of oil never happened. Now, another source happens to be the book by Heim, Heim Schaus called The Jewish Festivals. Because Heim Schaus, as a scholar, as a Jewish scholar, also goes into this. He is a Jewish Bible historian with a strong Orthodox background. He was born in 1884 in Gorzid, Lithuania. He, as a boy, grew up and attended Jewish religious schools. As a young man, he became a student of the Talmud, which is Jewish Torah commentary that was developed after the Second Temple was destroyed, finally completed roughly about 500 AD. And as a young man, he studied under a renowned Orthodox Jewish rabbi, and he moved to the United States, and for 25 years, he was a professor and scholar at the Jewish Teachers Seminary in New York from 1918 to 1948. He studied or taught Jewish, ancient Jewish biblical history. He was a Bible historian. He taught the Tanakh, in other words, the Old Testament, the Torah, and the Nevoim, the prophets, and the writings. He ended his scholarly career at the University of Judaism in Los Angeles, and he's the author of many books, has many articles on Judaism and ancient Jewish history. In his book, The Jewish Festivals, he has a whole section on Hanukkah, the history of the revolt of the Maccabees and the history of Hanukkah itself. And quoting from his book, in order to imbue the Hanukkah lights with a religious aura, with a sacred tradition, the legend of the flask of oil was created. A legend. 
The question is why? It comes down to the fact that Haim Shao says we have to address the issue of what is Hanukkah. And he said, in those days, not only in Jesus's day, we'd say the first century AD, but after the temple was destroyed, the Jewish scholars, they knew what Hanukkah meant. They knew very well what Hanukkah was. What troubled them, troubled them was the question of the Hanukkah lights and how the kindling of the lights was connected to the festival. To answer this question, they gave the legend of the flask of oil. The legend does not seek to explain the festival, but the reason for the kindling of the lights. What happens in modern Jewish tradition, this, the miracle of the flask of oil, became the actual explanation of Hanukkah, which in terms of its original intent, it wasn't. A second reason for the legend, it gives the answer of why the festival lasted eight days instead of seven. Now, here's the important point as Dr. As, as Heim, Schei, Schei, mm, Heim Schaus brings up. In those days, it had long been forgotten that Hanukkah was originally observed as a second Sukkot. And that can be found in 1st and 2nd Maccabees. So indeed, that's the first thing that we learn. And indeed, the miracle of the oil never happened. But as we're going to see, as we continue to go through each of these videos, we're going to see that God did just an amazing thing for his people, the Jewish people, who were suffering under the pagan rule, rule the pagan rule of Antiochus Epiphanes IV, who considered himself God. Now, the other thing that we learned in video one is that Jesus came to Jerusalem on Hanukkah. This is, was in John chapter 10, starting in verse 22. And there he's making, or he has a discussion with the chief priests and the scribes. And he ends his discourse by saying, I and the Father are one. This really upsets the Jewish authorities, because they're going to pick up stones to throw, throw, I mean, to stone him, to kill him. And they said, you blaspheme, you made yourself out to be God. Now, what's awesome, and as I mentioned, that this just blew me away the first time I learned this at a messianic congregation in our area. And as I mentioned, our leader, was he's a Gentile, he's a messianic Gentile a great scholar, and he brought up the fact about the history of Hanukkah and that Antiochus IV Epiphanes declared he was God. It was related to Hanukkah, and now Jesus, he's declaring he is God on Hanukkah. That's no coincidence. So Jesus seemingly then was using Hanukkah to teach them because they understood 
Antiochus IV Epiphanes and the fact that Antiochus declared himself God. And here Jesus on the Feast of Hanukkah declares himself God. So is there more? Does Jesus continue with this? Is he using the events of Hanukkah to help his disciples, his people, and therefore us understanding, uh, understand more about his return, about his return of the king? Is there more? Huh. You better believe it. You ready to go? Let's go. I always like to do a blessing before we begin, just like they would have done in Jesus' day. And so again, I'm going to read the Hebrew, and I will do that slowly so that you can repeat after me, and then we can say the English together. So just like in Jesus' day, we'll say a blessing before we get into our Bible study. Baruch hatah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haholam. Ashir bakar banu, mikol hahamim. Veinatan lanu etoroto, veinevuim atovim. Veinatan lanu etabesora, mashiach. Yeshua. Veinatan lanu etabrit chadasha. Baruch ata Aronai. Noten adevrei emet. And together in English, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has chosen us from all people and given us his Torah and the good prophets and the good news and given us the good news of Messiah Jesus, and given us the new covenant. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the words of truth. So as we did in the first lesson, to understand this, but we're going to go back. We're going to take a look at the season. We're going to take a look at the reason for the season, but we're going to go through the back door. We're going to go back and try to understand how the disciples, John and Andrew, Thomas, Matthew, all of them, heard him and what they understood and what what was going through their mind. I like to say that Jesus has a golden shadow over all of the biblical feasts that you can read about in Le Leviticus 23. And I also believe he's casting a golden shadow over Hanukkah. And the question is, did Jesus use the events behind Hanukkah to teach them? Now, so far, we have this connection of Jesus saying that he is God, and they wanted to kill him. They wanted to execute him there. Method of stoning to death. And they would remember that Antiochus IV Epiphanes, the pagan king, made himself out to be God. And that was one of those remembrances of the Feast of Hanukkah. So Hanukkah and Christmas, there's no connection. Both are man-made feasts. Both are not God-ordered. It just so happens that both happen in December, and both are initiated against paganism. And as one of my friends said, both Christmas and Hanukkah are remembrances of freedom from tyranny. So when we study Hanukkah, it's the history, really, of the revolt of the Maccabees. And it's got nothing to do with Christmas.
Let me take you to the Mount of Olives and someplace up there, Jesus was teaching his disciples. And we call it the Mount Olivet Discourse. This would be Matthew 24 through 25. And what did they hear? What did those disciples hear? The first disciples, what did they think of? When we actually take a look at Matthew 24 and 25, when Jesus is talking about his return. So in Matthew 24, verses 1 through 4, we read, And Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, Do, do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. As he was sitting in the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. So we have to stop and remember what we're going to be dealing with is the Mount Olivet Discourse. And here Jesus is talking about not only his return, his return and the coming of the king, but also mixed up in here. He's also prophesying and predicting about the destruction of the temple coming up probably in another 40 years. He goes on in Matthew 24, and Jesus says, because of lawlessness, living against Torah, living without Torah, because that has increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Jesus' disciples hear him talk about the abomination of desolation. Now to them, the only Bible that they had at that time was what we would call the Old Testament. I call it the Hebrew Scriptures because there's nothing old about the Old Testament at all. And they will remember in the Torah, for instance, here in Deuteronomy 12, 29 through 32, the Lord is speaking to them, when the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations which you are going in to dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, beware that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, how do, how do these nations serve their gods, that I also may do likewise? You shall not behave thus toward the Lord your God. For every, here it is, abominable act which the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Whatever I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to, nor take away from it. Now, in the days of the Exodus, instructing Moses to write the first five books of the Bible, we have to understand that, for instance, they're going into Canaan, and the religion of the Canaanites, the pagan religion of the Canaanites, there were abominations, and the abominations were child sacrifice, sexual rituals as part of their religious experience, and also all of the idols 
and all of the false gods. But this didn't end. This continued on through Persia, through the Assyrians, to the Greece. We're looking at a statue of Aphrodite. And here we're taking a look at Acrocorinth. This is the Acropolis of the ancient city of Corinth. We're familiar with the books of First and Second Corinthians that Paul wrote. And on top of this mountain, there was a temple to Aphrodite. This is a picture of a Greek temple. Probably what the temple of Aphrodite would have looked like during Paul's day, during Jesus's day. What abominations were there? The abominations that these pagan nations were actually participating as part of religion. Obviously, idols and false gods. Sexual prostitution. At the temple of Aphrodite, there were a thousand female prostitutes. And that was part of their religious ritual experience. Sexual practices in religion. And on top of that, the Greeks practiced legal abortion. They practiced legal infanticide. It was okay. If you didn't like your son, and if you didn't like your daughter, fine. Take him outside and dump him out on the baby dump. This went into the Roman culture at all. And it continues. The abominations of idols and false gods. An emperor calling himself God. Again, sexual prostitutes as part of the religious experience and legal abortion. Legal infanticide. We're looking at a picture of possibly what Solomon's temple would have looked like. And I use this picture because when Zerubbabel returns to Israel after the exodus in Bab uh, or the uh, exile in Babylon, and Nehemiah comes to build a wall, it's very likely that the temple that they built probably looked something very similar to Solomon's temple. But here, we read in 1 Maccabees, in chapter 1, starting in verse 57 through verse 62, on the 15th day of the month of Kislev, in the 145th year, King Antiochus, that's King Antiochus, the, port of the fourth Epiphanes, set up the abomination of desolation upon the altar of God, and they built altars throughout all the cities of Judah round about. And they burnt incense and sacrificed at the doors of the houses and in the streets. And they cut in pieces and burnt the five books of the law of God. And every one with whom the books of the Testament of the Lord were found, and whosoever observed the law of the Lord, they put to death, according to the edict of the king. Thus, by their power did they deal with the people of Israel. They were found in the cities month after month. And on the five and twentieth day of the month, they sacrificed upon the altar of the idol that was over and against the altar of God. We go into 2 Maccabees, chapter 6, verses 2 through 5, and we get a little bit more detail about the abomination of desolation. And to defile the temple that was in Jerusalem and to call it the temple of Zeus Olympus. And very bad was the invasion of the evils and grievous to all. For the temple was, was full of the riot and revelings of the Gentiles and of men lying with lewd women 
and women thrust themselves of their accord into the holy places and brought in things that were not lawful. The altar also was filled with unlawful things which were forbidden by the laws. And neither were the Sabbaths kept, nor the solemn, solemn days of the fathers observed. Neither did any man plainly profess himself to be a Jew. What did Antiochus, the fourth Epiphanes, do? He just simply came in and took the temple of God in Jerusalem and made it into a pagan temple and brought in the practices that the pagan Greeks were already familiar with. Sexual immorality as part of their worship experience, the worshiping of obviously pigs and unclean animals on the altar of God, the statue of Zeus. And so we return to the Mount of Olives. Jesus is teaching his disciples. And what did they hear and what did they think of? Jesus talks about the fact that when you see the abomination of desolation, but they already knew this from their history. And all of a sudden, could it be that what they heard and what they were thinking of was Hanukkah? And so we light candle one. Light candle one to remember the abomination of desolation that Jesus is talking about when he returns, when he comes again. And we see its connection to the abomination of desolation in the time of the Maccabees. The time of Antiochus IV Epiphanes. And as we light the candle, let's say a blessing. Baruch Ata Adonai, Eloheinu Melach, Ha'olam, Ashir Kitchenu, Bimitzvodav, Veinatan Lanu Yeshua, Adonenu, Mashienu. Haor Haolam. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with commandments and given us Yeshua, our Lord, our Savior, the light of the world. So, yes, Jesus is returning. He will take his throne in Jerusalem. It's clear that he may be beginning to connect Hanukkah with his return so that his disciples will understand in those days. And they know their history. We didn't. So watch for the next vi video. It's related to Candle 2. And we'll continue on with the study of Hanukkah and the return of the king. And let, let Jesus teach us, just as he taught them 2,000 years ago, of his return, the return of the king. Shalom.